1: Your Ben Jarofsky show. Oh, what a week for Friday, February 4th is brought to you by SCIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pot to smoke and so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Ben, tell us a little bit
2: about this week's column in the Chicago Reader. Well, you know, uh, in some ways, it's very appropriate to the conversation we're about to have. I can't believe it. I was like, I looked into the future. and I saw this issue would be coming up. And I talked about Richard Irvin, the uh, mayor of Aurora, who's running uh, for governor on the Republican side and is apparently, we're not quite sure, but sure looks like he's been endorsed by Kenny G, the richest man in the state of Illinois, who's promised to spend untold millions of dollars to defeat JP Pritzker. Anyway, I talked about how Richard Irvin is curiously silent on the issue of abortion and abortion rights. And you know, you cannot win in the state of Illinois um, a MAGA nomination unless you denounce abortion rights and say you're against them pretty much across the board. So he's quiet on that issue. But the problem is, you can't win a general election. We're going to get into this a little more. You can't win the general election if you take that MAGA Texas stance on abortion. So he just chose not to mention it all. And um, I wrote a column about that, I was ahead of the Times. Well, for because once, two days later, <laughs> <laughs> can we edit that wisecrack out? <laughs> Let's just edit that out. I'm going to ask David Clowence to come in and do some editing on that. Uh, but uh, yes, for once, I was headed of the game. You're right. That's Mike Flannery. Well, I don't want to tip what you got going, but uh, Mike What's Flannery exposed it. So he exposed the curious contradiction in Richard Irvin's uh, candidacy. So we'll get into that a little bit. But anyway, that's what I wrote about. Hey, Irvin, you hear that? Whoa,
1: that's Terry Cosgrove knocking at your door, buddy. He's got some questions for <laughs> yeah. you. All right. Oh, yes. ChicagoReader.com forward slash jarovsky J-O-R-A-V is in victory S-K-Y to check out the latest column and to help out this program. It is Friday, February 4th. And this is the Ben Jarofsky Show's Oh What a Week, and with special guest Dave Glowatz. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky.
2: Yeah, hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Rocky Road Friday, and here's why. Rocky Wirtz, owner of the Chicago Blackhawks. Man, what a spectacle. He's making him himself Two days in a row, the Blackhawks have been the front page news uh, in the Sun-Times sports section. That's really tough to get the Sun-Times to cover anything other than the Bears. Now, We have so much political talk ahead of us. I'm not going to spend him a lot of time talking about Rocky words, but man, oh man, I urge everybody to go check out the interview or not. an interview was a town hall meeting that took place a couple days ago. There's still a fallout over it. If you really want to understand the difference between a reporter asking a question and just an ordinary citizen fan asking a question, you must watch that. It's like a Saturday night live parody. Where you have the fans asking questions of Rocky Words, and the other, it was a town hall, it was a promotional thing uh, by the BlackHawks. So fans are saying, oh, "I really like your uniforms. What kind of uniforms are you going to have next year?" You know, doofus fans. Well, that's a good question. And then they ask a reporter, and the reporter comes in about that sexual assault case. Rocky Words blew his top. So I'm not talking about it. All right, I know we're having fun here, but hey, let's talk about something crazy. So anyway, Rocky Words. Uh, and I urge everybody to check out video out. We don't talk hockey in this show, and I doubt we're going to take the deep dive on it, but if you just want to see the difference between a reporter asking a question and just a normal citizen, check out the video. Anyway, D, without further ado, we got uh, Dave Glowatz, uh standing by. We're going to do a whole city council report, and I have no idea. Absolutely, I am completely in the – I didn't even call him to ask him before the show when he would share the uh, clips with me. So I have no idea what he has. It's always a little dangerous working without a net. But before we get to young Dave, you have some statewide news for us because this is all what a week. Take it away, Dr. D.
1: All right, everybody. How's it going? I'm Dennis. I think all of us are a little bummed out that that intro wasn't about ice cream.
2: (laughs) Rocky Road? Rocky Road, I know. Rocky, or about the Beatles? Actually, we've been Rocky Raccoon. Uh, Let us edit that out, D. Okay.
1: (laughs) How's it going, everyone? Oh, what a week indeed! Let's find out what happened in Chicago and/or Illinois this week. We begin in Illinois, and how about that state of the state address from Illinois Governor J. B. Pritzker? Honestly, when it comes to these things, you've heard one, you've heard them all. I mean, it's not like this guy will be master of ceremonies one day. J. B. Pritzker.
3: Oh, let's make some noise! <laughs> sit up! Oh, sit up! <laughs>
2: Waiting for that day. That would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Chicago Sky celebration. Ah, oh, the good times.
1: Who's ready for that budget? Come on! <laughs> but when it comes to Illinois' financial status, well, it's a bit rocky. And by a bit rocky, I mean we were flat broke, all right? We didn't even have a budget plan at one time. Basically, the state was me until I was about 37 years old. But believe it or not, (laughs) since a literal billionaire has been in charge of the state, Ben, financially speaking, not only has Illinois been making a lot of dollars, it's also been making a ton of sense. Wow. You came up with that? Yeah. Dave Glowatz write this script? All right. So Pritzker laid out his budget address. We've legalized pot and we've legalized gambling. Let's see what's next, huh? This year, the governor is focused on paying down old bills, controlling spending, and growing the economy. Pritzker says it's the recipe he's followed since he took office in 2019, and it's paying off. Ben Jaroski, your thoughts here? Did you watch the address? Did you follow any of it at all before we get into this?
2: Yes. Well, I didn't watch it in real time because I believe we were doing a show. Uh, but I have subsequently watched uh, pretty much the whole thing uh, and read about it. And uh, it's a classic. We talk about this all the time. It's a classic election year budget. Uh, the budgets are never balanced, people. just we, I've gone down this road before. I've gone this round, down this road before with the state budget and with Dave Glowatz on the city budget, by the way. Uh, many, many conversations with Dave Glowatz about how the city budget is never, ever balanced. It's a political document. It's a political spectacle, uh, and this is a classic uh, run for reelection budget where no, no, not only no new taxes, he's cutting taxes uh, in part because there's the influx of federal dollars that Joe Biden kicked to the state of Illinois to help with uh, COVID costs. Thank you, federal government. I'd like to point out, and this is, if, um, if we hadn't cut the federal budget, and we hadn't cut taxes on the wealthiest people back in 2017, there might be more federal dollars for the state of Illinois, uh, and there would be more or less a progressive way of raising it, because federal taxes are, of course, more progressive than um, the state of Illinois' taxes, and definitely more progressive than property taxes. I just got my property tax bill, and I'm really... Kind of upset about that. Um, so yes, classic election year budget. The Republicans are fuming, uh, Dennis, uh, about it. They uh, there was a great line by Jimmy Durkin. Gotta give Durkin credit. You know the uh, the, the Republican leader in the House. He came up with a great line. I can't remember what. It, you know having said this day I can't remember the line. Oh, but Derek, I'm giving you credit. It's a funny line, whatever it was. it was fu- funny line. So yeah, uh, clearly they're just kicking some money to people. so one less problem for Pritzker to have to run on it would be a tax hike. He goes, I'm giving you money. It's really kind of hard to run against an incumbent. who's giving you money? Well, big problems do become
1: big problems when you let small problems sit. But I did want to ask you, are there any other things that we can legalize to make some damn cash around this state?
2: I actually believe we should legalize all drugs. Okay. Absolutely. Every single drug. Hard in the paint? Uh, Yes. I've been advocating this for 10 years. And of course, every Democrat goes, Ben, could you not say this to me directly to my face because I don't have to like say, yes, legalize heroin. Really curious what Dave Glowatz's opinion is on legalizing heroin and opium and cocaine, And but I'll bet you he won't reveal that. Uh,
4: ben, do you want to legalize all prescription drugs?
2: Aren't they all legalized anyway? I They're mean, so you could get them. them without a prescription? No, I think you should get prescription. I think all these drugs you should get prescriptions. In-
4: uh, including
2: cannabis? Uh, well, cannabis, you don't need a prescription for cannabis. So
4: where do you draw the line?
2: Mm, good question. Oh. Uh Just ask just ask. Yeah. Uh, do I think we should legalize all prescription drugs just so you get them? Nah, make you go through the doc. You got go to go through the doctor. I still say that. Go through the doctor. Uh but yes, I draw the line at cannabis. It's legal. Anybody can get it. Thought, what about cocaine? Do you need a prescription for cocaine? Good question, Dave. I don't know the answer to that question. That you just have to know, know a, a physician. Yes. And then the physicians, maybe <laughs> the corrupt physicians who'd be writing scripts. We're not going to get into uh, that. But uh, so, yeah, you yeah, raise a very good question. Like, how do you the like the fine points of the Ben Jarofsky legalizing legalization plan have not worked them out, Dave? Uh, <laughs> give me a weekend. All right. I'll get back to you next. Well, week. let's kick it to the policy committee. <laughs> yeah, I'm a policy committee. Hey, I did a better job than Richard Irvin. At least I addressed a question. That's what I was going to
1: say. I I was expecting you to pull a nerve in there and just duck and dodge, but you you said
2: words.
1: (laughs) Kenny G, hit hit up Ben. He may be your guy. All right. If you missed the latest budget address, congratulations. You're not a nerd. And don't worry. Here are the highlights. If approved by the Democratic-led General Assembly, Illinoisans will see temporary tax relief when purchasing groceries. And gasoline.
5: We can afford to suspend the state tax on groceries in the coming year and have the state make up any lost revenue to local governments so we can bring some relief to families at the checkout counter.
2: Is that true? Who knows? It's election. You make all kinds of promises. Can they uh, suspend taxes on groceries and uh, still have money left over to give uh, to localities? I don't know. I don't think JB Pritzker knows. Even Dave Glowatz doesn't know. But why, nobody is like has the ability to prove you wrong. You know, the Tribune could run the Sun Times or some investigative reporter could do a long, intense investigation. You know, into <laughs> whether or not that promise will be is. Possible to achieve But the reality is It's an election year Budget you make all kinds of Promises and then you deal with the Reality in the following year In the next year I remember Rauner's last budget do you remember That Ugh. was the only budget he had Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. Just did that to get a Rauner invitation out of Dennis Ugh. So I'm not quite sure I believe Him when he says that as much as I love JB Pritzker uh, I'm not quite sure I believe him when he says, oh, yeah, I'll cut the grocery tax and we'll still have money for
1: Alton, Illinois. All right. And, you know, Ben Jironsky's ears perked up when he heard this homeowners will get a
5: bit of a break on property taxes. It's time for every local taxing district to take a long, hard look at reducing the burden of high property taxes they impose <laughs> on their local residents. And at the state level. We can also take action. I propose immediate property tax relief funded by the state surplus. If we double the property tax deduction for Illinois homeowners, we can bring relief to nearly 2 million Illinois taxpayers.
2: Yeah, well, uh, I, what I've, my proposal is to take my tax bill, which is outrageous, and just divide it among all the guests who come on the show. So like Dave Glowatz pay a little bit. Uh, David Ferris would pay a little bit. Uh, you know, um, Vincent E. Norman would pay a little bit. Monroe Anderson, you know what I'm saying, D? And That way I would whittle down what I have to pay. Just contribute, like a GoFundMe page. That's smart, that's my, smart. My property tax bill is outrageous. Uh, the property tax bill, there's a dependency in the property tax bill, obviously for schools. Uh, The state is not much help, particularly because we're not I guess he's not going to talk about it. But his fair tax initiative was defeated last year, which would raise the rates on the highest people. So seriously, this is a classic, 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 classic election year budget where they're offering property tax relief. I D I guarantee you that relief will be temporary. Guarantee you whatever comes, it will be a temporary relief uh, because. I don't know where they're going to get the money. To uh, make this a permanent uh, program, make this a permanent relief for property taxpayers. And again, the reason property taxes are so high in part is large degrees because they pay uh, for the great majority of schools. Schools are very expensive to run, I believe, in running them. Not saying don't fund them, but I'm just saying that's the reality. And the state of Illinois, uh, we put the greatest uh, dependence on the property tax. The property taxes are chief funder of public schools, so there's really no way of getting around it, ladies and gentlemen. That's why your property taxes are so high.
1: Governor JB Pritzker says the state will end the fiscal year with a 1.7 billion
5: dollars surplus. The massive bill backlog that contained bills past due for as long as 500 days now contains only unpaid general funds bills averaging 15 days old. And that $3.2 billion structural deficit? Well, today I'm pleased to announce Illinois will end this fiscal year with a $1.7 billion surplus, the first of its kind in more than 25 years.
2: (laughs) JB Brisker! Uh, yeah, uh, I'm sure all the people you couldn't see it, ladies and gentlemen. with All those cheers that when Pritzker said that it was with the Democrats cheering. Uh, the Republicans aren't cheering because the Republicans are outraged that he's playing budget games in an election year. Like they wouldn't do the same thing, but that's what happens. Well, you play budget games every year. Uh, you do this in the state level. You do it at the local level. Not so much in the national level, do you? You know what I'm saying? Because it's just such a gargantuan uh, deficit that it's just hard to <laughs> just put it in your head. Uh, but, uh, on the local and state level, you play these games. It's very frustrating for Republicans right now, as it would be for, uh, Democrats. If the, if the shoe were on the other foot, I'd be going on and on about how the, whatever Republican governor is just playing governor Browner, or governor Irvin or governor Bailey, <laughs> governor Bailey. Wow. Uh, is just playing these budget games, but it's one-on-one of budgeting uh, in election year, and this is where to see it. you uh, claim that you've a staggering success. Uh, you're a fiduciary wizard, uh, and you've managed to uh, steer the state through its difficult times, and as a result, everybody's gonna enjoy uh, either what, property tax relief, uh, a break on their grocery taxes, et cetera, and so forth, and then the bill comes through in about a year, so. That's the that's how you play the game, ladies and gentlemen.
5: That is correct. Oh, get, Bailey, get out of here.
1: And healthcare workers won't have to pay licensing fees.
5: And finally, I'm proposing to eliminate licensure fees for four hundred and seventy thousand nurses, physicians, pharmacists, pharmacy technicians, respiratory care workers, social workers, and others in the coming fiscal year. Let's recognize the burden our healthcare workers have borne and give them a much-needed reprieve.
2: Yes, uh, and by the way, I've really been thinking about Dave Glowatz's question to me. Sorry, D. While you were playing that, I was wondering, would I allow people to buy heroin without getting a doctor's prescription? I'm really like struggling with this one, because while I gotta get a doctor's prescription, let's say for my blood pressure medicine. Do we even, but I don't need one for aspirin. Does heroin fall into this category? And I'm really, Dave, I don't have an easy answer for this one. You really threw a curveball at me.
4: Well, there's this whole issue. There's this whole issue of um, standards control, right? Because if you were all, all of a sudden able to buy your uh, blood pressure medicine from the same guy that you get, say, your Coke, how would you be assured that the quality would be okay? right? That that your heroin, I'm sorry, that's your heroin. Sorry, I don't want to talk about your heroin. uh, That your blood pressure medicine wasn't laced with fentanyl, you know?
2: Yes, that's a great question. On the other hand, you have this vitamin industry. I don't think anybody is uh, overseeing that at all. So it's like we pick and choose. You really opened up a can here. We like pick and choose like what drugs we really regulate uh, and uh, the tight controls. And I'm sure big pharma has a hand in all this. Do you get what I'm saying? So I, you've thrown such a curveball at me, uh, young Dave Glowatz, that I'm going to have to really take the deep dive on this one uh, and decide whether I think heroin uh, should require a, a doctor's prescription. I'm not even sure a doctor's prescription would satisfy the concern you raised. Like you could have federal and state oversight on the on deliverance of drugs uh, without needing a doctor's prescription to get the drug, for instance, aspirin, as I just said when we buy a bottle of aspirin, we assume that it is legitimately a bottle of aspirin. It's not cut with stuff that would really harm you. So you don't need a doctor's prescription for that. So I'm not sure that the issue of protecting the safety of the public from the drug is is the is the key here. The key here is, do you need a doctor intervening uh, before you get your heroin? I think um, I may be on the Joe Rogan side of this thing. I just shoot Joe Rogan out here and say, no, we don't need a doctor. Just something right here. Actually, I actually have no idea if Joe Rogan has a position in this. Sorry, Dennis. Uh, we're we're <laughs> no, uh, J.B. Pritzker, great election year budget. Republicans are frustrated. They don't know what to say. They're going to have to come up with a different issue to run on. My guess, my guess, <laughs> this is not really that uh, dangerous of a guess. It'll be crime, 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 and more crime. All right. More
1: highlights from the budget address. And stop us if you heard this one. Pritzker also called on Republicans and Democrats to work together to get things done. He also said his Democratic Party will fight efforts to pull back on voting rights or women's reproductive rights or misguided efforts on how to manage the pandemic. Translation. And we're not turning into Texas anytime soon. The governor (laughs) received quite a bit of praise from his Democratic colleagues. And, of course, his Republican opponents somehow found a way to find a problem with a boring-as-budget speech. Isn't that right, Sue Rezin? Although it's a good
6: start in the right direction for the governor to recommend something that we've been talking about for for several years, what he has proposed is just a one-time fix that will save approximately a billion dollars. We say that those tax credits should
0: be made permanent across the board.
7: Jason Barrickman, what does it look like to you? It looks like the governor's proposing... Temporary tax relief coupled with permanent spending increases. And while that may sound good today, what we know is that tomorrow that's going to cause problems for uh, for Illinois.
2: Yeah, well, uh, I got news for you, uh, Republicans. Hey, you're not you're just frustrated because you can't land a punch because he's given you the tax breaks. And yes, they won't be here next year because they have the money is needed to fund programs that you want as much as Democrats want. So you don't have solutions for the big, we saw this with Darren Bailey and a really good job. Uh, by, uh, Rich Miller, got to give him a, a shout out. Uh, Rich Miller, the ACE, uh, reporter who covers so much Illinois politics, capital facts, uh, about how Darren Bailey, when he was a school board member downstate, uh, voted for property tax increases to fund the schools. Uh, and, uh, he said in justification for those property tax increases that the state's not providing enough assistance for public schools. Uh, and so, what does he do when he gets elected to the state house as a state rep? He votes against increasing uh, state funding for education. So, Republicans, you guys are locked into every bit as much of a BS mode as Governor Pritzker is. You pretend as though you can fund government by cutting taxes when you know you can't. When you know your very constituents are depending on government for some essential programs like education, like streets, like policing. But you want to pretend like you can do it without taxes. So come on, guys. Who are you kidding? All right. Now to the group of fellers who were
1: watching the governor's budget address this week and thought to themselves, pfft whatever i can do that that's right it's time for a 2022 illinois gubernatorial candidate update now in january if someone asked you who richard irvin was you'd be like who the hell's that guy wait (laughs) did you say richard Gervin or irvin i have no idea who richard irvin is i know a richard Gervin. i also know a guy named ricky mervin but i have no clue who richard irvin is what is he like someone's boss or something But now, thanks to the nonstop television and internet ads blasting loudly all throughout the state, we are all getting to know Republican gubernatorial candidate Richard Irvin. All right, so we already know that Richard Irvin has the talking points down. All lives matter, crime, bad, things like that. But this week, we got to see Irvin in action as he put his interview skills on display. And I got to say, based on what I saw, Mr. Irvin... If you want to become the next governor of Illinois, you have to get better at lying. Seriously, <laughs> not a good liar, this Irvin. So uh, Irvin, he gave two interviews uh, to local TV stations. I have audio from both WGN and Fox 32. I'd like to hear it. Hear it go. First up, WGN and Taman Bradley. Bradley began with the billion dollar question. That question being, so... Are you funded and controlled by Illinois' richest man, Kenny G, Ken Griffin, or what? I mean, I'm nobody's pushover. You know, I'm nobody's puppet. I'm, puppet. I'm my own man. Has Ken Griffin told you what he wants? You know, let me tell you. So I, the state of Illinois, you got a lot of problems. You know, crime is out of control. Taxes and spending are out of control.
2: Benny's, no one's puppet. And that's a classic pivot. Uh, So are you uh, Have you talked to Kenny G With very specific question by the reporter Very specific specific question Have you talked to Ken Griffin And has he told you uh, anything What he wants to hear from you Immediately crime is out of control He goes back to his talking point Crime is out of control Most people in the state of Illinois who watch that Most people in the world who watch that go Oh wait a minute you didn't answer the question Now whether that gets them to Turn against Irvin or not I don't know uh, but do you said he's not a good liar? I'm not sure. I think it's, it's like the issue is, Did you, have you talked to Ken Griffin? It's either a yes or no question. It's a yes or no answer. Yes. I talked to him. What did you talk about? That's not your business. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that, that would be a non lie. I see what you're saying. I see what you know you're what saying. I mean? Yeah. So it's like there was a, a yes or no question and he did not answer it uh and uh so there's an art to not answering a question there's an art to not answering a yes or no question and he's clearly not mastered that art but i wish he would be open I wish he said, yeah, I've talked to Ken Griffin. Uh, and what has he told you? Well, Ken Griffin's big number one concern is that we lower taxes on wealthy people. And have I assured him that under a Richard Irvin administration, I will not raise taxes on the wealthiest people? I think that would be an honest answer to the question. And I could not really object to him on this front, D. But uh, no, that's not a very honest answer to a direct question. Irvin then shared his thoughts on Pritzker's budget address. Do you support freezing
6: the grocery tax, property tax rebates, and a pause on the cost of living increase in the gas tax?
2: Listen, the governor's uh, new tax scheme is just a gimmick. It's a gimmick, my man. Yeah. Again, did not answer the question. It was a yes or no question. So you should say, yes, I propose it. But let me just say this. I think we should make it permanent. Man, I should be training these guys. I know what you're going to say, Ben. You're going to say, Ben. You didn't do such a great job when Dave threw that question about prescription drugs at you. Well, okay, I'm not a perfect. <laughs> he, he generally caught me off guard with that one. But I could do a better job on that one. You just, yes or no. If you ask a yes or no question, you start with a yes or a no.
1: Now, we did learn that Mr. Irvin is somewhat of, of a philosopher. If you're asking me, do black lives matter? My question
2: to you is, don't they? Ooh. Huh? Th- right right that's deep <laughs> <laughs> well we all know this is a very contentious uh issue here in the state of illinois black lives matter uh is a political movement that's a, uh hmm, really really taking hold in this country uh over the last three or four you guys everybody knows this and the issue is do black lives in particular matter because the issue confronting so many cities are the number of black people who are being killed by cops. That's how this issue arose. And so uh, so many people in this country, very uncomfortable asking that question and delving into that and not wanting to acknowledge that police are doing anything wrong, turned it into all lives matter, which is a sort of a way of skirting the central issue of, is there a problem with the way police police black communities So Richard Irvin, who is a black man, his first commercial came out and he came out and said, all lives matter. And that is saying where he stands on this particular issue of policing black communities. And now he's trying to sort of squeeze his way out of that one, D, duck and dance his way out of that one. So duck and dodge his way out of that one. So I'm not, this is a tough one. Again, MAGA wants to hear. All lives matter. Many people in the state of Illinois, particularly black voters, want to hear black lives matter. I don't know how he's going to get out of this one, D. All right. So that was his uh, performance, I guess you could say,
1: from WGN and Taman Bradley. Up next, the prize fighters stepping in. That's right. Fox 32's own Mike Flannery talked with our Republican gubernatorial hopeful. I have two clips here, and boy, I tell you, Flannery, he does not pull any punches. He declined to rule out raising taxes
5: or fees himself, but said he would propose some permanent tax cuts.
2: He could not name any specific state spending he would have to eliminate. Because I don't
3: hear a single cut.
2: No, I don't know, absolutely. And I don't hear a promise to rule out tax and fee.
3: You know, and I don't want to make empty promises to to the residents of Illinois without identifying what the issues are, identifying what can be cut. But
2: we, we did, did exactly that as mayor of Aurora. All right, see, now, the, the folks, that's, that's what I was getting at earlier. Republicans know that uh, your taxes bring you services and goods and, that you want, but they And they also know you hate paying taxes. So they're going to promise they're going to cut your taxes, but they're not going to say how it's going to affect the services you want. That's a duck and dodge. That's the game they play. That's the game they've been playing all along with this uh, Pritzker's budget. You know that. But you may just hate taxes so much you're going to vote for anybody who promises to uh, cut your taxes. Fair enough. That's where you stance is, your stance stances. Uh, but uh, I do not think the uh, uh, you can run in the state of Illinois on a blanket promise just to cut taxes uh, without um, dealing with the issue of what services are going to cut as well. We learned that with Bush runner.
1: But Flannery was not done
2: yet. Irvin said he opposes one, abortion, so that's but that's
5: declined okay. to clarify several important points. Pro life. Any exceptions for rape, incest, the life of the mother? You know, there's always exceptions, rape,
2: incest, life of the mothers, you know, things You would allow abortion in those circumstances? You would allow abortion in those circumstances? I think we're done. The campaign, of course, is not done. It's just getting (laughs) going. All right, Flanner. I think we're done. And that's, that's, that sums it all up. That, that's just like, I think we're done. Man, he doesn't even try to, he doesn't even attempt to do a duck and dodge. So that's that. That's going to be really difficult. Uh, the issue of reproductive rights, and you know Terry Cosgrove, Personal Pack, uh, and all their allies throughout the state will be raising that issue. Is Richard Irvin and his running mate uh, Avery Bourne, who's a downstate state rep, very much against abortion rights? Has voted against them all the time. Raised proposals in the in the state house to pretty much would effectively outlaw abortion in the state of Illinois. Are they determined to bring that Texas abortion law to Illinois if Roe v. Wade is uh, overturned and it looks like Roe v. Wade will be overturned? So, he, Irvin can't answer that one, and he's like, "Kenny G, help me out!" And all the money in the world that Kenny G has cannot buy an answer to that question, or at least a legitimate answer to that question. Yeah, that was a two-punch knockout there from Flannery.
1: <laughs> all right, so um, now my theory was that uh, Kenny G, he's kind of still, he's kind of auditioning. Uh, Irvin. I mentioned that before the show. I, I still, I feel like Kenny G's not yet invested. It's almost like uh, he's watching him, you know, on TV, s- still deciding whether or not to back
2: him. Maybe. Well, I'll tell you what. I hadn't thought of that one. That was uh, the Dennis theory. If that one proves true, that is just man. That would uh, really destroy Richard Irvin's uh, political career <laughs> yes, it would. and really ruin uh, Kenny G's credibility uh, because he has clearly let people know that uh, Irvin is his candidate, and that has promoted Irvin to the front of the ranks. Yesterday, Sun-Times has coverage of Pritzker's budget speech, had a picture of Richard Irvin, uh, and he was the chief voice, the look of the Republican Party, not Jim Durkin, not any state senator, not Darren Bailey, none of the other gubernatorial candidates, Richard Irvin. He's there by fa- by virtue of the fact that Kenny G has supposedly identified him as his man to run for governor, and he will be the beneficiary of all that Kenny G money. If Kenny G were to pull out and say, well, you flunked it, the- it was actually an audition, and you flunked the audition, I think that would be uh, a big blow to the credibility of Kenny G in the state of Illinois.
1: All right. We'll have to wait and see what happens there. But that is the latest Ben, I think we have the newsroom flagging me down. We do have one update here before we get to Mr. Bike Dave Glowatz. Hang tight. Let me go to the newsroom. This is just breaking news today. Hang tight. Let me run in. Hey,
3: hurry up. Give me the story. We got Dave waiting. Uh, What's that?
1: I'll ask him. All right. We got the story here. Okay. All right. This just in. Illinois Republican gubernatorial candidate Jesse Sullivan announced today his lieutenant gubernatorial candidate. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say dropped out of the race. No, no, still in the race. Still in <laughs> oh, the race. Oh, <laughs> uh, Gubernatorial candidate Jesse Sullivan announced Friday that conservative activist Kathleen Murphy has agreed to sign on to his ticket as candidate for lieutenant governor. Kathleen Murphy, you know, do you recognize that name at all, Ben? No. Okay, well, you may after this. Kathleen Murphy was the director of communication and spokeswoman for Jeannie Ives primary. Oh my God. <laughs> Her primary race for Illinois governor against Bruce Rauner. So Sullivan, well, he's got a strategy. Is it the best? Probably not, but it's a strategy.
2: Well, actually, no. Uh, and we're going to get to Dave on the Chicago News, but I'll just close with this. It could be a very effective strategy for winning the Republican primary. Ladies and gentlemen, in order to run against Pritzker, you got to win the Republican primary. That's something that Kenny G hasn't quite figured out. And, uh, and again, Republicans are vehemently against abortion in the state of Illinois. Uh, And Jeannie Ives, that was the campaign. That was the issue she used to uh, run against Bruce Rauner in the 2018 Republican primary. She got close to 50 percent of the vote. She did very well. So by going to get a Genie Ives ally, Jesse Sullivan is sending out a clear message where his position is uh, on abortion. He's already put that on his website. So if, if Flannery were to ask Jesse Sullivan for his position on abortion, I guarantee you he wouldn't say that he was for abortion in some instances, like uh, Richard Irvin said, and then, uh, oh, he started panicking. Oops. And then the aide had to say it's over. So you know what? That may be a, a successful move, up uh, to win
1: the Republican primary I was going to say it sounds like you kind of gave a, a little nod there To Sullivan huh Well played Sullivan Well played Let's not get
2: carried away Go man cow <laughs> I don't know <laughs> oh, Sorry uh, Anyway alright Enough uh, state news thank you very much uh, Dr. D great job uh, Dave Kowats has joined us Good friend of the show And uh, Chicago inside Chicago government Is his site the man, no, I would say that uh, nobody covers uh, city council and Chicago politics with as much scrutiny as young Dave Glowatz. Uh You've really stepped up your game on this front and doing a great job. He comes on the show hmm, at least about once a month with city council highlights, which we break down. Uh, so, what do you got for me today, Dave? I got gratitude
4: for those kind words. Thank you very much, Ben.
2: Yes, so I really need him. You do a great job.
4: I appreciate it. Well, you're a, you're a catalyst. And I say that nicely. The most recent meeting of the full city council took place on January 26th, and it went about four and a quarter hours. That included about a half hour of honors for Mark Kelly, who announced his retirement as head of the Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events. I should note also that in attendance at the meeting was 34th Ward Alderman Kerry Austin, who was taken out of the December city council meeting after collapsing in her chair she looked to be in fine spirits she looked to be in fine spirits at the January meeting and publicly gave her thanks to her colleagues for their support Dennis please we'll do Riley first so at the meeting after public comments and before committee reports City, uh, City Clerk staffer read the ordinances that had been filed with the City Clerk prior to the meeting. There were several that caught my eye that foreshadowed what was to come later. Let's listen.
1: Alderman Riley also has a proposed ordinance for amendment of municipal code Title II regarding City Council Committee oversight power and to further regulate Office of Legislative Council, which is referred to the Committee on Committees and Rules. Alman Riley also has proposed ordinance for transfer of funds within the City Council Legislative Reference Bureau for the year 2022, which is referred to the Committee on the Budget and Government Operations. Alman Riley and Allman Smith have proposed the ordinance for annual appropriation ordinance year 2022 amendment by modifying department name of Legislative Reference Bureau to Office of Legislative Council, which is referred to the Committee on the Budget and Government Operations.
4: When I heard those three, I said, oh man, there's gonna be a rumble. And let me tell you why. We've talked about this before. In June of 2021, 9th Ward Alderman Anthony Beal introduced an ordinance establishing a city council legal department. That legal staff, under Beal's proposal, would include a city council parliamentarian who acts as kind of a referee during meetings of the full city council. That function is currently staffed by the city law department, which reports to Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Also in Beale's ordinance, which for those keeping score is record number 02021-2901, this legal department would also advise aldermen, quote, on matters relating to their legislative duties, which may include, but are not limited to, the drafting of ordinances, unquote. Well, that function is currently done by a shadowy group called the Legislative Reference Bureau, or LRB. Now I say shadowy because in the city's budget, the LRB is one of the few departments named in the budget for which the budget defines no positions. And I have the budget right here. And, you know, it's, it's a pretty, like, it's like a phone book, you know, those of you who remember phone books, right? It's a pretty big document. And if you just flip it open, like uh, randomly to any, any page for any department, like, uh, I don't know, uh, streets and sanitation, we open the streets and sanitation and we see In the Bureau of Forestry, it shows all these positions that are budgeted. For example, uh, assistant general superintendent, one position at $100,000. Senior city forester, four positions at $102,000 each. Motor truck driver, eight positions at $36,000, or I'm sorry, $36 an hour. So it tells you who's working there and what they do. In the budget for the Legislative Reference Bureau, it just says $400,000, that's it tells you what the expenses are, but it doesn't tell you who's there or who does what. Yep. So that's the LRB. The LRB is headed up by the council's president pro tempore, who is ostensibly selected by the entire, entire council. So, Brent, do you know who the council president pro tem is?
2: At, right, at this current moment, it's yeah. either Tunney or Riley. I can't remember who. It
4: is 42nd Ward Alderman Brendan Riley. Yeah,
2: okay. That's right. I, I remember
4: So Dennis please we're going to do law 1 next. So going back to Beal's proposed ordinance since June Ben as you know the, the administration's council allies including Alderman Riley have pretty much kept Beal's ordinance bottled up by various various parliamentary procedures along with another proposed ordinance by Beal which would raise the speed at which Chicago speed camera limit speed camera speed limit cameras speed limit cameras are triggered We'll call that the speed camera ordinance. That brings us to the January 26th City Council meeting. One of the very last items on the meeting's agenda towards the almost the end of the meeting is something called unfinished business. During unfinished business, the Rules Committee Chair, 8th Ward Alderman Michelle Harris, started to recommend both of Beal's proposed ordinances be sent to City Council committees for a regular consideration. Beal then stood up and called for a vote on his legal staff ordinance pursuant to the council's Rule 41. Rule 41 essentially says that <clears throat> an alderman can call for an immediate vote on passage of an ordinance that's been delayed or stalled. After he called for that vote, debate began, which we're going to hear, starting with 6th Ward Alderman Rod Sawyer. Let's listen.
8: Alderman Sawyer.
3: I know it's been a long time, and I know he's frustrated, and I support him in this effort a hundred percent, but I do think that we need this to be heard before a full committee.
8: Alderman Down, that is
9: exactly the words that I was going to say. This is going to cost us some money. We have not even discussed what the financial requirements will be for this particular position. I think it would be inappropriate for us to vote it up or down because we don't even know what we're voting for. Alderman right.
7: And in reviewing Alderman Beal's ordinance, I think there's a lot of good in there. For the last three or four months, I've been working with the Legislative Reference Bureau lawyers to refine Alderman Beal's ideas here without having to go to outside counsel, but by converting our own lawyers, Legislative Reference Bureau, into the Office of Legislative Counsel and then providing them some supplementary funding through an appropriations amendment through budget. It also very clearly defines the role of this new office has really focused on parliamentary procedure and it stipulates that these lawyers should not be advocating for or against the passage of legislation but simply to provide objective procedural support and the hope is that that alderman beal and myself and others can can work together to get a good final product i'll be circulating this new draft ordinance that was introduced today as well as a fact sheet and another sheet that it kind of shows the differences between Alderman Beal's proposal and my own. Look, I've stood up here and used parliamentary procedure to defend our authority as ultimate, dividing questions and the like. I am someone who believes we need to have our own independent counsel. Alderman Beal's ordinance has good things in it, but it doesn't even say how we're going to pay for it. There is no appropriations amendment attached, and it doesn't even define the duties. I think that Alderman Beal conceptually has a good idea. I would argue the ordinance that I've submitted, and I encourage you all to read it, goes a bit further. It also reinforces our ability to have subpoena powers and enforcement of those subpoena powers, something that is lacking in the Alderman's version. So I'm not saying mine's better, I think it is.
0: Alderman Smith. I remember that when we fought to get an independent inspector general who had authority over city council, we called every single Alderman, we rounded up co-sponsors, we went the fight through committee and then to a very closely divided city council vote. When we did COFA, having an independent council office of financial analysis, we called a lot of people, tried to build support. Now, I haven't gotten a call from Oglinville, I don't know how many of you had, to discuss the substance of what is being discussed. <laughs> But Alderman Beal, as the proponent, the proponent of an ordinance, really bears the burden of collecting the responses and the support of his ordinance. With real respect to Alderman Beal for feeling passionate about this issue, he hasn't done any of that. Alderman Osterman.
7: All 50 of us believe that we should have a legal counsel. Unlike another colleague of mine that suggested we just pass something and then figure it out afterwards, I would hope all 50 of us would want to take 30 days to look at Alderman Beal's proposal, look at Alderman Riley's proposal, have that go through the budget committee where we can ask the questions, offer input. It's that important, I would think, to wait 30 days.
8: Alderman Thompson.
10: I want to give credit to Alderman Riley because I utilize the LRB, and I I think that has become very independent, and they've been doing an excellent job. Sometimes in the past, if you went and talked to them, immediately you get a phone call. Now you talk to them, and there is that confidence that what we work on is truly confidential. I do want to commit, I, I think as Alderman Oshman mentioned, maybe it's 30 days but quickly get working on a solution, whether it's a reconciliation of the two or you can answer some of the questions that some of us have, Alderman Beal, then we can address that. And then if there's two competing, I do support what you're trying to do. I don't want you to think I'm dodging this because it's not.
2: Yeah, a lot to unpack there. And uh, the really issue here uh, is who controls the city council, the mayor or the alderman? uh and so nobody like directly said that i think uh alderman um uh, thompson got at that a little That's daly thompson uh, from the 11th ward uh if you're forgetting patrick daly thompson i really think he sounds like richard j daly He, he he's morphing into richard j daly as we speak uh he's gonna talk about preserving disorder pretty soon but um that that clip, and I'm doing this as a paraphrase. Uh, I don't have the exact quote, but he said something along the lines. Uh, if we talked to, to the council uh in the old days, there was an immediately a phone call. And now there's some uh, confidentiality. I-, I presume what he was saying when there was immediately a phone call, if you raised a concern, if an alderman raised a concern with one of these aides, whose job it was to uh, help the al- alderman uh, deal with parliamentary procedures or legislative material procedures. And if the alderman raised issues that may differentiate with the mayor, the phone call went to the mayor's office. I think that's what he was saying. And this is, uh, i that's my guess of what he was getting at. Uh, so the really
3: and was-
4: supporting that Ben is the idea that we don't ever hear about what the Legislative Reference Bureau does, and, and, and if you try to look at what it is, you open, you know, it has a website. Actually, it has its own website, and if you go to it, it just talks about, you know, it it, it provides support to aldermen, and it has an entire page with a bio of Brendan Riley devoted to it. And um, you, as I said, you look in the budget, you can't see even who works there. Yeah. So, no. yeah, I, I agree that uh, there there is some if, if in fact what uh, Thompson says is true, that uh, it, it has a reputation for being a back channel to the mayor's office for all, you know, aldermen who are trying to uh, uh, do something that the administration might like that it might be underutilized simply because people don't know whether they can trust it.
2: Yes. And there's a good reason they uh, can't trust it because all, as we point out, we have a legislative branch, the city council, we have an executive branch, uh, the mayor, but the mayor controls (laughs) the legislative branch and has since uh, Harold Washington's days. And that means that the mayor determines who will be the heads of all these committees, which, which, the committees, the committee chairs control the legislative process. Uh, and so when Anthony Beals on the house with this particular mayor is claiming, uh, is calling for more independence uh, and an independent bureaucracy for the city council that would give it the protection it needs to uh, come up with its own proposals, come up with its own budget analysis, and also have its own parliamentarian determining like what's out of order what's uh, in order, you know, uh, in a city council debate, as opposed to the mayor making that determination. uh, That's a direct, what, challenge, a confrontation with the mayor, and the mayor doesn't want that. And the mayor controls these legislators, these aldermen. So Alderman Michelle Smith, a mayoral ally, Alderman Brendan Riley, a mayoral ally, Alderman Harry Osterman, a mayoral ally, they're going to be a little reluctant to come and join uh, Anthony Beal's crusade. And by the way, Anthony Beale was a little reluctant to have this crusade when Mayor Rahm was the mayor. A point I always like to make, because uh, <laughs> he was very much a Mayor Rahm uh, ally. He was a Mayor Daily ally. And pa- just the thought of Patrick Daly Thompson, a Daily, talking about I really worried about the mayor knowing what I'm saying. I'm really concerned. This is the thought that a daily would have an independent thought. You know what I mean? To would be worried about a powerful mayor. Hello! The dailies were powerful mayors. They control everything.
4: So, should, this be, we should be worried about the feds, actually.
2: Yes. Dave Kowatz gets a little dig in there. Uh, Patrick Daly Thompson, I believe, has been indicted uh, for um, some very convoluted, complicated scandal involving banks. Has he been in, actually indicted? I just yeah, yeah,
4: We really yeah. no we we have had fun before about naming the other um, two aldermen who are under indictment. That is correct.
2: Uh, and um, so, uh, yes, wait, wait.
4: A, are you going to tell
2: us? Yeah, Kerry Austin and uh, Ed Burke.
4: Okay just to make sure that you're keeping keeping score
2: yes uh we've had i actually had a long uh, conversation about this stuff uh, with adolfo Mondragon uh and byron Sichel lopez the alderman of the 25th ward because uh they're the ones who've taken to the supreme court uh, a uh, a challenge to uh, the ability of indicted politicians uh, to or any politician to spend uh, campaign dollars on criminal defense fees. So it's kind of fresh in my mind.
4: Yeah, imagine if they couldn't, like uh, Ed Burke or Michael Madigan, couldn't use their campaign funds to uh, make hundreds of thousands of dollars, reportedly, on on, uh, legal fees to defend themselves against these indictments.
2: And that's why I've publicly predicted that uh, Adolfo, as much as to support him in this initiative, will not prevail. I can't imagine the state Supreme Court just suddenly adding, uh, like, I don't know, untold amounts of, um, of uh, obligations to Ann Burke and Ed Burke. Ann Burke, of course, is a Supreme Court justice. She's the chief justice of the Supreme Court, and she's married to Ed Burke. Anyway,
3: that was a so, so
4: getting back to, to this debate, as it were, uh, one of the things I found interesting was that Alderman Riley sort of outed himself as having stalled Beale's ordinance because he wanted to work behind the scenes to do it his way. And, you know, you got to wonder, like, is there a connection? I just posed the question. Is there a connection between the fact that Riley heads the Legislative Reference Bureau? That's, you know, part of his uh, sort of, you want to call it power base. And he is working, uh, he uh, he is proposing an ordinance that turns the Legislative Reference Bureau into an office of legislative counsel. Essentially, mimicking what Beale has proposed.
2: Yeah, I feel uh, this is a classic case. This happens all the time in the city council, uh, Dave, where uh, an alderman will introduce a proposal uh, and the mayor realizes that he or she uh, may be in their best interest to uh, pass the proposal, but they don't want to give credit to the alderman who dared to introduce something without their approval. So they get a, another alderman, an aldermanic ally to introduce, a very similar proposal, and then they could say claim title to it. Uh, so this sounds like that's what's going on here. Now, did you notice where uh, Riley said in the clip that you played, I'm not saying my proposal is better than your proposal, although it is. <laughs> I guess he is saying that then. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. Hold <laughs> it.
4: Uh, uh, so. Dennis, please, we're going to do law two next. You know, Ben, we just listened to opponents of Beal's legal staff ordinance, now let's hear from Alderman who supported Beale. Let's listen.:
6: It's a pretty simple ask. To have independence when we talk about all the things that happened before council and committee. We've seen in the past three years, every single time somebody has something that they disagree with, that they want to get a ruling on, no disrespect to Mr. Levine or anybody else. but it kind of plays in the direction of the executive branch. And trying to ask for independence and justice in a process. And to have the answer be, how are we going to pay for it, feels to me to be a fundamental problem. Uh, There are plenty of things through budget cycles that we've done that we voted for that still haven't been implemented. We still don't have plans on how to do those. But yet, this is an argument we're making for something we've been asking for time and time again. And now, looking at how it actually ran through the process, it was dumped into rules. There's a Rule 41. It was deferred and published. Now that it's unfinished business, it can move forward. I know that because the same thing happened when we were talking about CPAC and ECPS.
11: Alderman Harris I have talked to most of you over the years about us having an independent council, because every time the ruling, there has never been one time when the ruling has been on the favor of anybody other than the mayor. And we have said it time and time again. And here is somebody that introduced it. And what did we do, Alderman Riley? We deferred and published it, so it couldn't get heard. So don't stand up here and tell us that this is a conversation. You didn't want to have the conversation. Mayor, you call upon us all the time to pass things and we work out the details later. So this is not unusual. Either you all want somebody to have your back or you don't. And if you don't, stand up and say it, but stop playing this game.
7: Alderman Riley? Since my name was mentioned in the debate, I'd like to respond to that. Again, we can't revise history here, colleague. Uh, this has been discussed since before Mayor Lightfoot took office, before she was sworn in. Many of us have had these conversations with this mayor. So with all due respect Alderman Beal, this is not some new idea that he cooked up. And yes, I've been participating in the parliamentary maneuvers to slow it down because I knew I was working on a better version, I I would argue.
8: Alderman Lopez.
6: A lot of this conversation that we're having today is filled with contradiction. Jumping without knowing all the facts is something we do routinely in this body. We approved universal basic income without having the program set, but we knew what we wanted to do. The reason we're here is because the Rules Committee did not report this out in October. As of right now, there are 67 pieces of legislation in the Rules Committee that have bypassed the 30-day requirement in our Rules of Order to be voted out. Clearly, we need to address this matter. Address it in a way that has been advocated for, and we could get to the particulars, because clearly so many people have been concerned about this issue, but nobody has stepped up to support it to move it out of committee, except perhaps Alderman Beal, most dedicatedly doing so every meeting. And we have two Rule 41s today, one that's properly noticed and one that's not. And even that's a matter of question. Alderman
3: Beal. I have attempted to take this to committee and do it the right way. Because we all send stuff to committee and say, you know what, let's work it out in committee and let's make some amendments. But when your voice is being silenced, where you can't even bring something to the floor that's beneficial to us, it's a problem, y'all. We talk about money. I don't see anybody jumping up and down about the executive order that was issued last month to spend over a million dollars without consulting with us. That's in the budget committee. I guarantee you, all of you all have my word, the next 30 days, I will work with the budget office, I will work with the administration, I will work with anybody to put this together that will be beneficial for us. If we could have brought this to committee, we could have worked all this out. But there was a concerted effort to shut it down. And that's why I put the Rule 41 in, it's based in our rules, I followed the rules to make this happen. Now, I take exception to my colleague that put this ordinance in today because last month he said, I want to work with you as long as it comes through LRB. I don't want nobody in this body to control this legal council. I don't want anybody in this body to control the parliamentarian. I want honest, independent representation, and we can do that. And we can work all those issues out in the next 30 days, and you all have my word on it, but... I'm not going for the delay tactic anymore. We all know that the clock is ticking and it's a concerted effort to just run the clock out.
4: I just want to point out a few things. The first person we heard, I forgot to mention, was 40th Ward Alderman Andre Vasquez. Yeah. And he mentioned the ECPS ordinance, which is the Empowering Communities for Public Safety Ordinance, which uh, creates community control over the police department, which did eventually pass. And finally, I want to point out, Ben, that the debate went on much longer and included more aldermen than what we've heard here. And if listeners want to hear the entire debate preceding the vote on Beal's ordinance, they can hear an extended version of this episode found at the Inside Chicago government website, shygov.com. To you, Ben.
2: So my question to you is, what was the vote?
4: Well, let's go there. Um, Dennis, please, we're going to do vote next. After a debate on the ordinance, it came time to vote. And I'll tell you the results now. It was 29 in favor and 19 against. So uh, unless you think that, that unless you think that that's how it ended, we're going to hear what happened before the vote. <laughs> yeah. And we'll also hear what happened after the vote. After the vote, uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot left the chamber and the council's president pro tem, Brendan Riley, became the presiding officer. So first, let's hear what happened before the vote. Let's listen.
3: Before it gets to whatever, could you explain to us what the ramification mm-hmm. of each vote is? Because I don't want to knock yes. out what Alderman Beale is trying to do. There to are two competing
8: issues you. on the floor, and we'll take Alderman <laughs> Beal's first issue, which is legislative counsel. Chairman Harris has moved to refer that matter to an appropriate committee. Alderman Beal is seeking an immediate up or down vote for consideration by this body let's take alderman beal's matter first this is up or down vote A yay vote is for immediate passage of alderman beal's ordinance without committee discussion or debate chair recognizes alderman harris point of
11: clarification i think a yes vote is a vote to bring it out of rule 41 to the floor for a vote
8: i'll stand corrected two votes One is a procedural one for this body to consider it immediately, and then we'll take a second vote um, as to whether or not it will be voted yes or no. So first is a procedural vote to bring it to the floor for immediate consideration and passage today.
10: So if if you vote no to have that brought to a vote now, does that then preclude it from being assigned to a committee? No.
8: Alderman Beal is seeking immediate consideration by this body immediate passage of his ordinance. So a no vote means you're not going to consider it now. Then we would go back to Alderman Harris to consider a referral of the matter to a committee. So a yes vote procedurally is to consider it now. If that vote passes, we'd have a second vote on whether or not, as written, this body passes it without referral to a committee. Chairman Wegsman.
10: Alderman Riley's ordinance, did that go to rules or did it go to a different committee? I don't recall. Okay, so it didn't, it wasn't conflicted out.
8: Yeah, uh, I believe that Alderman Beal to... called a different committee to send Alderman Riley's uh, ordinance <laughs> to rules. Or Alderman
6: uh... Beal's, which committee? To answer Alderman Pack's question, but I don't think the clerk assigned it to rules as being two committees. I think he just assigned it, as I heard it, just as going to rules regardless.
8: Well, when two committees are called by our rules, it <laughs> goes to the rules <laughs> committee, sir.
6: But he but Madam President, it would still oh, have God. to be referred back solely <laughs> and singularly to rules.
7: Yeah. It's to clear up the confusion, the ordinance oh. that I introduced was to be sent to rules. That's actually the, the committee I identified to send that ordinance to. I think Alderman Beale was hoping to send it there by doing the typical. Um, but we had already planned for it to go there because that's where it belongs.
8: First vote, ladies and gentlemen, is a procedural vote to suspend the rules and consider this Rule 41 now. If that passes, then we would have a second vote. Alderman Sawyer.
3: Does this need 26 or 34 votes? 34 votes. Thank you. All right, roll call, please. Alderman Beale. Mr. President, according to our rules, I want to correct for the record that you do not need 34 votes to discharge committee. It is a simple majority of 26. That last item passed 29 to 19 and therefore should have passed out of committee. If we need to recess a few minutes to consult with that council,
7: I'll be more than willing to do so. And that's the council we have today, Alderman. If you could give me one moment, please. Okay. Basically, uh, Alderman Beal and Alderman Harris had two different Rule 41s doing two different things. Alderman Beal's motion was to discharge from rules, which was deemed out of order because the items were no longer in rules committee. They had actually been deferred and published. Alderman Harris was seeking to bring up the two items that had been deferred and published in the previous meeting, the speed camera item and the Office of Legislative Council item, to properly send those to committees, which had been interrupted by the defer and publish. Because Alderman Beale was ruled out of order, he would be required to suspend the city council rules, which is what he moved to do. In order to do that, you need 34 votes. So I'm hoping that clears up the confusion between the two Rule 41s and different standards that were applied. One was to suspend the rules, which we all know requires 34 votes. The other was not. Alderman Vasquez.
6: So is that every time this body has
3: suspended the rules, we needed 34? Yes. So there's plenty of times we just do it on voice without calling for roll call to do it.
7: Unless you have a roll call, you don't know. Got it. Now I know if for we're going forward. Thank you, Alderman. Alderman Beale?
3: Mr. Chairman, I don't think that my order was to suspend the rules. The only way he, for the, you to call no, the vote was to suspend. See, once an item is in committee, she was reporting out her committee.
7: No, incorrect. She it, had was, been, it was already before was, this body when it was deferred and published. It was not in committee. Before this body on his DMP. That's reporting. why she did this under unfinished business, Alderman. It was not a committee Indeed. report. There's no need to suspend the rules for that particular vote. Indeed, there was. Correct. But because, okay. because you're out of order, as ruled by the chair.
3: You know, this has truly become the kangaroo court. Yep. Thank you. Well, What do you think?
2: Well, I uh, was laughing out aloud uh, throughout that. Uh, it's absolutely bewildering. Uh, as a person who's uh, suffered from dyslexia my entire life, if I were an alderman, I would be so confused uh, as to what I was voting on. And uh, But it underscores the basic point that Anthony Beal is making and uh, that the city council uh, is controlled by a bizarre collection of Byzantine rules and regulations that are generally... Uh, enforced by the mayor, or in this case, the mayor's allies, Brendan Riley. That's the guy, the judge, if you will, uh, deciding what the vote should, uh, how many votes you need to pass uh, Beal's measure. Uh, And the whole purpose of this is to give the mayor control over the legislative body. It completely underscores why you would need If you want independence in the city council, you would need a separate parliamentarian uh, to make rules as opposed to Brendan Riley. So uh, I think that this entire uh, those those quotes that you played, those clips that you play, Dave, uh, illustrate the basic point. Now, I'm sure a lot of Chicagoans, they would say, well, they don't care. They only care about things like crime. They only care about things like how many police we have. They only care about things like uh, what our property taxes are. You know, they only care about things like uh, whether our schools are open. You know, they, don't, they, they would listen to this and say, what a bunch of BS. What a waste of time. But I could make the counter argument that if you are going to have uh, something resembling a, a democracy as opposed to an oligarchy, or an autocracy, then you need an independent uh, Chicago City Council. Uh, and I do not know why they fear so much proposals like Beals. Either vote them up or vote them down. The whole Because it, is
4: challenge, it challenges the, the status quo, I think is exactly what you're saying. It's, yeah,
2: it challenges. You, but the point is, it, if you're going to kill it anyway, then just have the vote it up or vote it down instead of this convoluted bizarre way of killing it by parliamentary rules.
4: Well, now that Alderman Riley has sort of outed himself as having, like he said it a couple of times, that he deliberately slowed the thing down so he could craft his own version. Yes. So it's it's actually, I think, pretty ingenious. It's sort of co-opting the idea and making it uh, amenable, making it um, agreeable to the administration is one way to look at it. And so yeah, I, think, and I, I, think, say- I think that's a really good strategy, or, or I, that, like I said, ingenious strategy.
2: Yeah, that's an, as, as I was saying earlier, that's an age-old strategy. It goes back to the Richard J. Daley. Uh, so like Linda Prey, an independent alderman, would come up with a proposal, like let's say open housing, uh, and Mayor Daley realized that he had to pass something and he didn't want to praise, and he certainly didn't want any alderman to think that he or she had the authority to pass something without uh, deferring to the mayor, would have a crony introduce a rival ordinance uh, that uh, would pass, and that way they could they wouldn't allow Len to pray the opportunity to say he passed it. So there's that kind of gamesmanship, uh, going on as well. That's the point I was making earlier. And, uh, It um, it's it's remarkable how, Dave, these things survive all these years. You know what I'm saying? This is like you could have had this. Well, I don't think you would have had so many aldermen vote against Mayor Daley back in the 60s. But this is essentially the kind of same kind of games that have been going on in Chicago uh, City Council since the 60s.
4: Yeah, you make a good point. 19. There were 19 votes in support of uh, moving this thing to uh, the floor for passage. And for what it's worth, my read of the City Council's rules is that. Uh, Lightfoot and Riley were correct that the motion to take a vote on an ordinance that hasn't had prior committee approval, that motion, according to the rules, requires a two-thirds majority, namely the, the 34 votes, a threshold that apparently, evidently this did not uh, reach. And the reason that you know Beale is confused about it and other people probably are confused about it is because I think that uh, Riley and his allies deftly, agilely used the rules in a series of delay tactics, namely defer and publish, and um, uh, calling two committees in the past, so that when it is being sent to committee, it goes to rules. and, You know, it's really just using the rules to create delay and confusion. And it worked out pretty well for them, too. Yeah.
2: Uh, c- yes. So confusion works to the advantage of the powers that be in the city of Chicago again. Uh, and we'll be curious to see uh, what Riley comes up with and whether it passes and what the substantive differences are between what Riley proposed and what uh, Beal proposed, or if it matters at all, and will there be a legitimate parliamentarian who will uh, from the city council, who is independent of the mayor, who will rule, on matters like this going forward. Uh, I guess uh, we'll be uh, waiting to see that, Dave, uh, yeah, in future reports.
4: And the ordinance, uh, for those who want to look it up, who want to read it, Riley's ordinance, I'm just looking for it real quick here. It is record number, that's pretty detailed, 02022-420. And that's a nine-page ordinance that... Um, Details Riley's proposal of legislative office of legislative council. So let's uh, Dennis, please let's do emergency next. So we're going to leave that aside and we're going to go on to a, another item of unfinished business. In early December, let's go back a little bit. The Lightfoot administration introduced an ordinance that doubled the dollar amount of emergency goods or services that the Department of Procurement Services could buy without city council approval. The limit was $500,000, and this ordinance would have increased it to a million dollars. And the administration said at the time that is because of the rising costs of goods and commodities, namely water treatment chemicals, that it needed to move quickly to pay for the increased costs without city council approval. At the December 15th City Council meeting, Aldermen Beal and Lopez moved to defer the proposed ordinance, meaning that couldn't be considered for approval to the council's January meeting. So in the January meeting, it came up as one of the unfinished business items. This piece starts with the Budget Committee Chair, Third Ward Alderman Pat Dowell. Let's listen.
9: On the unfinished business, I have one item that... I notice pursuant to Rule 41, that's a substitute ordinance concerning an amendment to the Municipal Code regarding Emergency Procurement Authority, which was deferred and published December 15th, 2021, S.O. 2021-5647. Alderman Lopez.
6: This matter was debated at length in the Budget Committee. There were a number of us who had concerns about giving the administration continued emergency powers, particularly when we have the ability to meet virtually within 48 hours to discuss any pertinent spending matter. When this matter was deferred at the last meeting, an executive order overruling us was issued, doing exactly what the law said because we wanted to discuss this more. If this fails today, the executive order issued by the administration will be in effect until this body takes up this issue. So I think we should take up this issue and I would ask for your no vote on this matter.
8: And just so the record is clear, the stunt of deferring and publishing this would have precluded us from having chlorine supply to make sure that we continue to provide safe drinking water for the residents of this city. I will not let history be rewritten by convenient comments from those who have a different agenda. We needed to get this done. We got it done when it was deferred and published. Yes, I issued an executive order, Chairman Dell,
9: I think you should let the body know that the executive order expires. It does. When this passes. That is correct. Alderman Harrison.
11: So it was in committee and we held it in committee and then an executive order was issued for it to be done no, anyway. That's okay. not correct.
8: I'm, I'm lost on that. It was voted on in the committee. <laughs> it um, came out of committee. It came out of committee right. onto the floor. And then it was deferred and published by Mr. Lopez and others.
11: Okay. Second order was done. To- okay. You are not the mayor. I am not, I'm not, I'm, this me and her. On, McCar- I don't I will need an interpreter. You. I will recognize you. I can understand. Okay. So it was deferred and published and it's to come back today, but in the interim, there was an executive order entered allowing the authority to go ahead and do this. Yes. Why are we bringing it back up again?
8: Because it was deferred and published and we... But you've already issued the executive order. But the executive order expires expires upon the passage. Well, I
11: don't have a copy of the executive order, so I don't know. Thank you. Now I'm clear. Ottoman Lopez, briefly.
6: Everything that I said in my comments was correct. And to label the deferred publish a stunt for other motives, when... That is exactly the conversation we just had about the rules that we have adopted. It's not a stunt. It's the rules of this body that we all agree to abide by. And I take great offense to anyone, regardless where they sit in this room, accusing me of other things than doing what I have as a right as an alderman of the city council.
3: Alderman Beal. Thank you, Mr. President. Now, Mr. President, here we are once again. <laughs> it was DMP. An executive order was issued to circumvent us to get their way to move forward to spend over a million dollars without us having input. But y'all want to argue over legal concept. ladies and gentlemen. Our priorities are in the wrong place. <laughs> this thing is running amok, and either we get a hold of this ship, or it's going to be a shipwreck.
7: <laughs> and I vote is to re-refer this item. No, no. It's Oh, excuse
11: me.
7: Okay, excuse me. I stand corrected. This is a vote on whether or not to authorize the emergency approval for the procurement of these key chemicals to keep our water supply safe. So an I vote is to approve that. Alderman Moore. Is there a dollar amount limit? Alderman Dow?
9: Yes, there was a, a million dollar limit, and I believe it had a sunset in it as well. So that this authority runs out at a certain period.
7: The authority would run out the end of 2022. We, we need 34 votes, correct?
4: Yes, no, It ain't
7: no, no Simple majority. This is a simple majority vote <laughs> required because it's not a discharge from committee.
4: uh the, you notice know, there's a switch there? Mayor Lightfoot left the room again. So yeah. again, Alderman Riley came back. Uh, she was, I don't know uh, what she was doing, but she was bouncing it so So uh, what do you think, um, Ben?
2: Oh my goodness, what a joke. The whole thing is a joke. And uh, I, I, I agree with Ray Lopez. You can call it a stunt. Everybody has the right to defer and publish. The mayor defers and publish when she doesn't want stuff. Uh, be yeah, a proxy. Pro- yeah, be a proxy. Correct. And uh, so he, defer and publish is a legitimate... Legislative tactic. And the issue here is, do you want the mayor to have this kind of authority, uh, executive authority over matters, over contracts above $500,000? And a strong argument could be made from an independent standpoint, legislative standpoint, uh, that you don't want her to have that. And the mayor can make a, her argument coming right back that you can't effectively run city government these days uh, if you have to turn to the city council for approval for every single contract above $500,000, knowing that Lopez and Beal will defer and publish. So if that's her argument, put it out there and have the vote. And uh, But this, these games that we play, Dave where we have a rules committee that is just the repository for things the mayor doesn't want. Uh, and she lets that happen. And then looks the other way, you know, when, um, when her allies dump stuff in the rules committee that she doesn't want to deal with. And then she cries how challenging it is to run government. Uh, when you have such council processes, it just exposes sort of the, uh, double standards and hypocrisy at play here. Uh, and I'll, Point out as I always do, uh, Raylo and uh, Anthony Beale are relatively new to this. Uh, they did not object to these tactics or so forth when it was uh, Mayors Emanuel and Daley doing them. Uh, but I think that this underscores the need uh, that uh, to have some kind of independence from the Chicago uh, in the City Council uh, over the mayor. Either that, or just let the mayor be the dictator and the tyrant that runs absolutely everything in the City Council.
4: And notice um, Alderman Hairston's, Fifth Lord Alderman Leslie Hairston's uh, comment that why are we doing this if the executive order stays in effect, you know, to the end of the year anyway? Yeah. And uh, it's an interesting question, right? They didn't actually have to take a vote on this because the mayor had gotten what she wanted through executive order.
2: Yeah, and she said that the exact what was her response that the executive order uh, requires this vote. Uh, it, it's it's really perplexing. No, we- what she said was
4: if the ordinance passes, yeah, then the executive order is nullified because yes. it's replaced by the um, by the ordinance. But yeah. they do the same thing, so you don't. They did from the administration standpoint. They don't have to pass the ordinance.
2: Yeah, I, I guess she just wants this to be the governing uh, by city council. Mm-hmm. Uh, so enabling her to uh, spend up to a million dollars. Uh, but uh, I I, uh, I sympathize with uh, Lopez and Beale because of my my sympathy is almost always going to be with having more oversight over the mayor. I feel that the history of Chicago politics has shown us that all powerful mayors who have uh, the control, complete control over budget matters, it's not a good thing for the city. Uh, so more oversight from the city council, I think, is imperative. Uh, uh, and so I have to say that at this particular time in the city council, Beale and uh, Lopez are sounding like Scott Waggis back from about six years ago. And I was with Scotty back then, so I guess i got to be with him now, just to be consistent, uh, Dave.
4: And in closing, I'll just say that this passed forty to six.
2: Forty. To, oh my goodness! So, uh, who are the six? Do you know who the six votes? I'm just curious. Do you
4: know? Who this uh, can look real quick.
2: Forty to six. Beal Lopez. Say,
4: uh, it was voting no. Were Beal, Burke, <laughs> Lopez, Jeanette Taylor. Byron Sixto Lopez. Looking, looking, looking. It's a long list. Yeah. Jim Gardner.
2: Wow. Jim Gardner, of the 45th Ward. What a bizarre collection of no votes. And I'll just say Ed Burke, what a hypocrite. Ed Burke, the uh, 14th Ward Alderman. Uh, he was the master of parliamentary maneuvering to give the mayor uh, even more power uh, than uh, than Lori Lightfoot has when the mayor was uh, Daily and the mayor was Emanuel. Uh, and now, uh, because he's had the political fight uh, with a Lightfoot and he's on the outs, he's now <laughs> he's now voting against absolutely everything he did when he was the finance committee chair. It is a very bizarre uh, situation in the Chicago City Council. Uh, and Byron Cecil Lopez, will also want to point this out, I, I mentioned this already, uh, is the one who has gone to court uh, to effect, would, uh, if he's victorious, would keep Ed Burke from uh, being allowed uh, in uh, able to spend his uh, campaign uh, finance donations on his criminal defense fees so what an unusual coalition of six no votes to put it mildly but that's where we are in the city council
4: well we got one more dennis please we'll do safe next now Ben, we're gonna leave the uh, full city council meeting and jump to a january 21 meeting the committee on public safety little background there's an organization that investigates police misconduct called the civilian office of police accountability the former head which is called the chief administrator Sidney roberts resigned last may after which mayor lightfoot appointed andrea kirsten the interim chief when the mayor introduced kirsten's appointment to the city council at last november's city council meeting opponents of kirsten delayed consideration of the appointment By the public safety committee, why, Ben?
2: Oh my goodness, we talked about this one. Kirsten was the one. Her report uh, was uh, regarding Anjanette Young, the raid on Anjanette Young's uh, apartment, uh, named the police officer who was killed, uh, and uh, as um, Officer Hello French, uh, Officer French, uh, having done something wrong, and there was outrage. Ah, uh, demands that she not have named Officer French, particularly after Officer French was killed uh, in the line of duty, a tragic death. Uh, and uh, that brought up the whole issue of, well, what it, should we edit reports or do they exist independently? You know what I'm saying? And uh, yeah, so we discussed this. I can't remember when we discussed a couple months ago, I want to say.
4: Yeah, this raid that you're talking about of Ann Jeanette Young happened in 2019. And Ms. French, Officer French, was one of the officers in the raid. And then subsequently when COPA produced its report on the raid, it named her and she had died just before that report came out. And so uh, uh, aldermen I would call very pro-law enforcement uh, got their hackles up and uh, adamantly opposed, I think 20 of them wrote a letter in opposition to Kirsten's appointment. Anyway, Kirsten finally got a hearing by the Public Safety Committee on January 21 for arguably confirmation of her nomination by the mayor. Um, and the committee was supposed to vote on her confirmation. In this piece, we'll hear one of the committee members, 38th Ward Alderman Nick Spazzato, speaking during the questioning of Kirsten, Then we'll hear committee chair, 29th Ward Alderman, Chris Taliaferro, after all the aldermen had finished speaking and after he had called for a five-minute recess. Let's listen.
12: Chairman, I have to say I strongly oppose this appointment. I take no joy in speaking out against a mayoral appointment. I actually pride myself, as you know, because you know you're my best friend in city council. My main thing I believe in is praise in public and scold in private. Unfortunately, I have to break my record of almost 11 years of supporting the mayoral appointment and praising in public and uh, scolding the city council. So I just have statements. I don't believe I have any questions, but I just want to remind my colleagues of a few things. Mrs. Kirsten and me have a bit of a history from four years ago. I tried to contact her about something numerous times without a call back. I was very frustrated about it at a budget hearing when I finally knew who she was, because I never knew who she was. I admit, I somewhat aggressively came up to her and somewhat scolded her, maybe raised my voice. And you know I, I wasn't my normal, nice, friendly, Nick Spisata that i using him. After that, I was basically told by her I was, I was being very inappropriate, which maybe I was, maybe I wasn't. I did talk to the Inspector General because I didn't know how to handle this about at this time reaching out to COPA And he said to contact them, long as you're not trying to sway or change anything, you're not doing anything wrong. I made it perfectly clear, if she had a problem with me, she could report me to the Inspector General, but she outsmarted me and, and reported me to the Board of Ethics. So with that, I, as you, and as many members of this committee or council, I believe that we all contact commissioners, deputy commissioners on behalf of our constituents, friends, neighbors, whatever, businesses, whatever. I contact commissioners on a regular basis. Many, many, many times on people that I don't know, not even my constituents. I know you yourself contact me, chairman, one time to help a constituent of yours. Certainly many colleagues reach out to me for help with police and fire. And I'm certainly thankful when I could help. And as you know, we saved the job of a kid that was uh, one of your constituents. That the city wanted to fire, which I thought was you thought was wrong, and I thought was wrong. So I don't think we're doing anything wrong when we're trying to help people. That's what we do. Uh, We're here to help people. So uh, this is by no means an attack on the mayor. I've been very supportive of the mayor from day one. I like to think I'm one of her biggest supporters. But this is not a nomination I could support. This is something that I once again strongly oppose. I would ask the rest of my colleagues to oppose this. And I would also like to bring up another thing, two thirds of this council and over half of the members of this committee supported EPCS. I know I always mix up the acronym, but that organization that you say right in there, guys, those of you who support ECPS, you want the committee or the commission, I'm sorry, to appoint the director of COPA. So I don't see how any of you individuals could be supporting this nomination when something you fought hard for, worked hard for, spent a lot of time on it. I just don't see how you could support this nomination and how you wouldn't be waiting for your own commission to appoint the director of COPA. So with that, I'm not going to belabor my disappointment in this nomination. I once again ask my colleagues to support me in the opposition of this appointment, and a lot of this, some of it's personal, yes it is, but a lot of it is, I'm looking out for my colleagues. I don't want to see any one of you have to call COPA and be reported to the IG or the Board of Ethics for improper contact. Committee on Public Safety
10: is back in order. Uh, we're going to hold this item in committee and we'll move on to item number two. Uh, the item is, item number one is... being. Chairman, Chairman Nick Spazzato. Chairman, oh, come on, Chairman, this oh, is not right. Chairman Spazzato, let me recognize you
12: before you speak, okay? Sorry, I'm very upset, but go ahead and recognize me. Go ahead, Chairman. Chairman, this is not right. We I've been in meetings all day, been in this meeting for an hour and 45 minutes. Now we know what's going on. Now we know we don't have the vote, and this is what we're gonna try to do. This is wrong, Chairman. I'm very disappointed in the whole process here. Everybody that's behind us, this, this is wrong. We should be voting now. A lot of people spend a lot of time. We have an alderman here that's got a holiday coming up. We had people that made sacrifices to be here. We had people that listen to everything. Now, after an hour and 45 minutes, now we're gonna hold this because we don't have the votes. I'm sorry, I'm pissed off, this is wrong.
10: Chairman Sposato, that's noted. And um, as I said earlier, it's being held in committee.
4: One point of clarification, Ben. Um, Alder Sposato pointed out that the ECPS ordinance, which I talked about earlier, one of the provisions, uh, let's back up a step. The ECPS ordinance provides that um, citizens of Chicago elect uh, a commission that oversees parts of the police department. And one of the things it provides for is that that body, when it is uh, assembled, because that hasn't uh, those elections haven't happened yet, is that that body would select the head of copa mm-hmm. but in advance of that happening the mayor has gone ahead and decided to nominate andrea kirsten to be the permanent head of copa until ecps uh, kicks in so that's what he was pointing out
2: yeah and uh so the they held the vote uh, because they didn't have the votes correct <laughs>
4: Yeah, and that happened. Uh, we didn't hear it, but uh, the, after all the discussion happened, Talia Farrell, Chairman Talia Farrell, had a, a several minute recess. And we could imagine, we don't know, that he checked with the administration and said, you know, it doesn't look like it's going to pass. Let's, you know, let's see if we can hold it off until we can, you know, we can lobby some more aldermen.
2: Yeah, I, uh, I'm i with uh, Nick Spizzato on this one. Alderman Spizzato, I'm with you on this one. You got the votes or you don't have the votes? And uh, these again, these are the games they play. And this whole uh, this whole show, uh, Dave, is the games the city council plays. Really, the mayor plays uh, in controlling the city council to sort of stifle debate or divert uh, the debate in her favor uh, to win uh, at all costs, because a mayor who can't control the city council is viewed as a, quote unquote, weak mayor. And so it's very important to control the city council. If the city council does not want to approve uh, Kirsten because of the issue of uh, putting, uh, ultimately putting uh, Officer French's name in that report, then they have the vote. I I personally don't believe that she should be voted down for that. I don't think that you should amend uh, official city documents just because they're politically inconvenient at the moment. On the other hand, the objections that uh, Alderman Sposato raised uh, in, in, the most, in that tape he played shows that she's kind of autocratic, you know, and uh, mean-spirited. So I probably may have voted for or against her on that matter. But, uh, yeah, the games they play to give the mayor complete control over the council uh, the, and um, sort of stifle democracy. I'm with Nick Sposato on this one. I think they should have had a vote. Um, so what do you, what's your prediction, David? Are they going to uh, round up the votes for her? Or are they going to quietly uh, move on to some other candidate?
4: I don't know. It, it depends on whether they can actually, because they, they've been holding this for a little while now. And um, presumably they would not have brought it to the public safety committee if they didn't think they had the votes. Yeah. So um, it's probably razor thin. And you know she's interim chief now i don't see that the administration has anything to lose by just letting her stay interim chief because eventually the commission will choose yeah. you know the next one yeah, so i don't i don't know if it's a fight worth i don't know how much uh more they want to put into this fight absolutely good point so
2: that's all, all right. i got that's excellent. Uh, good job as always, Dave Glowatz. Uh, and uh, there you go, Nick Spazzato. I agreed with you, all right? Alderman Nick Spazzato, my old friend, uh, perhaps the most conservative member of the Chicago City Council. I agreed with him on that last point. Uh, all right, Dave Glowatz, uh, tell folks who, if they want to see more of your work where they can go to find it.
4: Go to the on your web, go to chigov.com igov.com, on Facebook. You can go to Facebook.com slash inside gov and on Twitter at C H I G O V T. My much my many thanks to you, Ben, and to Dennis for supporting my journalism. I really appreciate
2: it. Well, it's our pleasure. That's the great Dave Glowatz. Uh and I'm Ben Jarofsky of course, and he alluded to the man myth the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. And as Dave Glowatz, Nix, Pozzato and Mayor Lori Lightfoot will tell you. Back in Alton, they call him Dr. D, and the D stands for DeMarvelous. Have a great weekend, everybody.
5: Urban said he opposes
8: abortion, but...